2: Baby, I think you're right, $50,000 for Bryce Mitchell What a
3: fantastic finish There he is, your winner, Thought Nasty, Bryce Mitchell
2: Welcome to UFC Unfiltered
3: Please tell me that's on video I've never been happier
2: I'm made for a fucking podcast That's dangerous <laughs>
3: To me. We're here. Welcome to UFC Unfiltered. I'm very excited today. We have uh, obviously Matt and I are going to be joined by Bryce Mitchell, who is fighting uh, Edson Barbosa, which what an incredible fight that's going to be. He's 14 and 0. Goodness. Um, yeah, and Barbosa, I mean, we'll see how he does against a guy who is so devastating um, on the ground. And they are fighting. Hold on, I have the date right here in front of me. Oh my! I'm I'm going blind. March fifth at two seventy-two. I'm just literally losing my eyesight. Jimmy, yes, buddy.
2: I know that Bryce Mitchell's uh, a lyricist.
3: Yes, I was listening to his stuff. It's good. It's good stuff. I wonder yeah. if he
2: ever, uh, if you ever heard my, my, my lyrics with the whole um, Edson Bar Barboza song.
3: Well, that will be a fun thing when he comes on. We can we can cover that and ask him. I'd love to know.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, well, listen. We're definitely going to uh, cross that bridge when we get to it. But Jimmy, I'm excited. You know I listen. I watch. I listen. What am I, a moron? Uh, I wa- First of all, my voice is gone. My voice is gone. I cornered four fights over the weekend. I was about to say I watched the Cobra Kai series. All right? And we get, we're having on. Did we even say who we're having on? No.
3: Martin Cove, who plays John Cleese, or Creese, sorry, John Cleese, John Cleese in uh... I mean, obviously, in the old Karate Kid movies, and then in season three and four, I'm not caught up, though. I saw up to the end of season three. I have not seen season four yet. He, we're having him and his son, Jesse, um, who and they are promoting their new podcast called Kicking It with the Coves. Oh. Podcast one, Martin and uh, his kids, Jesse and Rachel Cove are hosting. What, what is that about? Or should we wait to ask them? I would say ask them. I haven't heard it. and It's new. So I'm guessing they're just going to be talking and interviewing guests.
2: Man, I like that. Hey, uh, well, first of all, again, me and my family watched that whole thing. My voice has gotten better. I did a lot of yelling the other day, Jimmy. Okay. We went, we went one and four at the uh, – one and three at, the, old, at the, uh, the Ring of Combat over the weekend in Atlantic City. Okay. So it, wasn't a, it wasn't a great – listen, it's always a great night with my people. Yeah. But, you know, first the good news, Dennis Bazooka, he fought on the Contender Series, he kept his belt – so he fought a, a good fight. Okay. It, was, it was another close fight. It's a lot of close fights. The guy he fought was tough. He was from Strong Style. I believe that's uh Steep Ace Jim. So that is Bazooka. I'm very proud of that kid. A great kid, great family, lot of potential. I believe he will be back in the UFC, Jimmy, uh, before you know it. You know, Raging Al took him under his wing early. And he's he's uh I was working that corner with Al and Al Joe, and it was good. We had our team down there, you know. And uh, he won that fight, so he gets to keep his belt. I'm proud of that kid. Can't wait to see what's next. Uh, James Gonzalez, another one of my fighters, Jimmy, longtime um, student of mine and friend. I Very close fight. Could have went either way. He fought right. a buddy of mine, Dante Rivera's uh, student. So Dante Rivera I know a long time. He's a Carl Almeida student. So anyway, that was a close fight. Could have went either way, to be honest with you. I thought James got it, but. You know, if you look at it, the control it was a
3: decision or a split
2: decision? It was a decision. Uh, was James a split decision? I think James was a split decision, but I'm not positive. But I think he was okay. It was super close, came down to the third round. It could have went either way. I'm proud of the kick. Lauren Bracha. Lauren, this is why my voice is done because Lauren, I give a little tough love. There's a thing going out there on um, <laughs> you're gonna, they got me. Being a little colorful in my uh in my corner work, I'll send it to you afterwards. It's pretty funny. I should say the memes where it's from though, because it has me kind of cursing for her to get her fucking on the hook, and that to, to remind her that she's in a fucking fight. She's a great girl. She does Longo's hair. She's a good girl. Uh, you know, I like her. I like her girlfriend. She's nice. But you got a fucking. You're better. You're, you're better than what I'm seeing. I know you're yeah. better. You bet you're on top, you're attacking me better than that. What the fuck are you doing? So I get a little and I get a little annoyed because I, I know she's just gonna believe in herself. And she won. It was a good fight. Good fight. Right. And again, that's a fight that actually could have went either way, also. It came right. down to the third round. And that's where I left my voice in that third round. But uh, and also, you know, so she lost the decision, close fight. I'm, I'm so proud of her. But uh, and then my buddy Samurai, Manny, Manny Flores, he lost, he got caught. But uh, I'll tell you, I like his opponent. His opponent fought a couple of my guys. And uh, I want to give that guy a quick shout out because I like him. And I think he's uh, got potential. He's a lover of the, the marrow. He's a lover of the weed. I seen him after. He goes, Man, Matt, may you smoke? They go, well, maybe. He was here. And he gave me a little something. So I like him. <laughs> Where the fuck's his name? Pro MMA fighter, next fight. I want to know his guy. Where's his name? I don't know. AT, ATM Cohen is his name on Instagram, but I like him. Like, listen, we don't want to lose. We want to win. I'm going to follow him back. Okay. And uh, and his name is uh, McCohen. mcco 0 0 0 say win Sorry. Uh, DM him for tickets. Anyway, I like him. And uh, he's a dangerous guy. He took out a couple of my guys. They've got Manny, who I love, Samurai's a very close friend of mine. And he took out Christian, Hungry Wolf. So listen, that was my weekend. Oh, but before we get Bryce Mitchell on over at the other organization, we don't say its name. But uh uh Justin the kid is now five and zero oh with four knockouts. So Longo was over. It was a divide and conquer. Longo went over there. Him and his trusty sidekick Stephen Lee went over to to coach him and his kid Aviv, who uh who lost his fight. He got caught. It was a rough weekend. We went like two and four, but at the same time, I'm proud of everybody. And congrats, Justin kid. Sky's the limit. Let's get Bryce Mitchell in.
3: Well, before, and we, we, right after we have Bryce too, we can, uh, we'll cover this weekend. Uh, the weekend of fights, we were we, you and I were both pretty on with our picks. I mean, really good. So we can cover them after Bryce and before Martin Cove. Bryce is fighting on 272 Edson Barbosa. I believe that the third fight, of the main card. That's a great card. How
4: are you? Great. Thank y'all for having me.
2: We mi- we miss you, Bryce. I've been asking. I know you've been busy. I've been asking to talk to you ever since. I knew you could spit out those fucking lyrics, man. I'm impressed. I appreciate it, Coach. Thank
4: you for having me, brother.
2: I mean... Where did that how long have you been rapping for, bro?
4: Well, every Christmas I rap presents, and uh I've been rapping since I was a kid, and I was really kind of just embarrassed to share some of the stuff and then I don't know. I guess I just went through some stuff and I said, well, I just don't even care if I'm embarrassed no more. I'm going to share it anyways because this is something I want to do.
3: Problems in my head is really good. Dark and Saw is really good. I was listening Thank to you. all your stuff and it's almost like the embarrassment of what you do for a living is such high risk that there's nothing that can hurt as bad as breaking your hand in the first round or getting knocked out. So it's almost like that should take the pressure off for artistic endeavors, no?
4: Well, the, the worst thing for me that could happen in a fight is that I embarrass myself. The pain always heals and it goes away. Mm. Uh, unless if you really, really get messed up. But I would rather get paralyzed than go in there and do something that um, just is shameful that I have to live with when I get to heaven. You know what I'm saying? That this is never going to go away, that I can't, that, that holds over my head. So I just want to go in there and bring honor to my family. That would be the most embarrassing thing or the worst thing that could happen is if I embarrass myself and, and look like a coward. Cause that's not how my mother raised me. You
3: reference honoring your family in one of the songs too. I don't remember if it was grandmother's grave or what the name of the song is, but you referencing, uh, honoring your family.
4: Yeah, I do a bunch in there. And, uh, <clears throat> that's what gives me some of my good content right there. That's what a lot of it's based around. You know, it wasn't about my chain and all my hoes and stuff.
2: Hey man, all I know is, you know, you know, fucking Hollywood's full of reboots. They should do over eight mile, and then have you as the lead, as B-Rabbit, when they start going, choke, choking, they start fucking just taunting you, you kick the fuck out of everybody. <laughs> in a rap battle. I'm not Listen, Eminem in a rap battle, something goes south, he better get his fucking garbage bag full of clothes and go out the back door. Not you, <laughs> Bryce Mitchell. You can lose that thing and just be like, hey, <laughs> listen, man, anybody, any one of you motherfuckers line up. You know, Edson Barboza. That's right, brother. Edson Barboza. I'll tell you, the guy's been around for a long time. This is exactly the fight you need for the masses to know. We, I listen. I know. I seen you grapple. I seen you fight. I, I know how high level you are. But I, Jimmy most likely knows. But I want the world for the world to know. They know. I said Barbosa. He's been a highlight reel for fucking years, man. Just putting people to sleep with spinning fucking heel kicks. That song that me and jimmy came up with is pretty famous about him so he's out there and i want you to get all that shine is it shine of smoke tell me you're the rapper
4: uh both (laughs) yeah you
2: want all that smoke when you heard that you're getting it's in barbosa was it any different than any other opponent was a little extra like oh
4: i mean i was i was satisfied because he's top 10 and he's uh you know he's certified and and everybody knows it's going to be a legitimate win. And um, but you know, I want the title. That's what I really want, and I, I I I put my life on it right now. If you put me in that title fight at 145 pounds, I can beat anybody on this planet. There is nobody that I cannot
3: beat. Yeah. Well, you're number 11. Is this your first top 10 uh, guy? Yes, sir. And uh, yeah, it's really he's he's uh, he's 10 year 11. And uh, how many, when you look at yourself going for a a title fight, what do you think your path is? I know things obviously uh, can change because of injuries or guys dropping out. But just how do you see it unfolding? Um, How many more fights do you think before you'd you'd get a shot?
4: Well, I've had a dream about how I'm going to get one of my wins. And if that dream comes true, it's not going to be very many fights because uh, that dream would make history. And so, but, but, you know, I don't know. I I don't know, but all I'm going to do is just fight to the best of my ability and keep fighting. I don't care if it's five more or two more, but um, I don't know. I just see myself um, doing a lot of stuff before I retire.
3: But the dream, we got to ask about the dream. Now, is it a dream of a specific fighter or a specific method of winning a fight?
4: It's a specific method of winning a fight, and I'm not going to reveal it, but uh, I've told my buddies, so that, like my really close buddies, I've told them about it. But, um, you know, I don't the dream didn't reveal what fight or or anything like that. But um, I believe that there is a huge win coming up and I'm going to make history and I've had a dream about it.
2: Wow. Jimmy, you got to understand, he could pull a twister out of the fucking air. You understand? Yeah. I mean, he puts guys in pretzels and when he does that twister, people, oh, my God, it's coming. He's doing it. He's doing the Eddie Bravo shit and they see him doing it and they know it's coming. Not to mention the near ones he almost got. So I'm thinking in the world, it might not be a submission. I'm I'm pretty sure it is, but it might not be. But I'm thinking. I'm trying to rack my brain. What the fuck? Calf slice twister. What could this be?
4: I want y'all to use your imagination. But what, what's going to be really cool is like after the fight, when it happens one of these days, I'm going to reveal the dream. And it's just going to, I don't know. When you hear about the dream, it just, It's crazy, you know, and it's crazy that I've had the dream that this is, uh, that it's going to happen, but I I firmly believe it's going to happen. And the dream was telling me it's going to happen.
3: Have you had a dream come true like that before? Have you ever dreamt of a win or of a fight path and it actually happened?
4: I've dreamed something that happened exactly, uh, how it happened. And it's a weird story, but it, it just, it reconfirms that my dreams do take place. I mean, I've got a bunch of stories too, like, no dreams, things that happen that cannot be coincidence. That it was what I believe is is God uh intervening or revealing himself to me through events. Um but okay for example here's that dream that I told you it was weird. I had a dream that uh there were two geese sitting out <clears throat> in my backyard because it floods real bad in my backyard. So I got like a lot of puddles back there. And a lot of times I wake up to honking um Canadian geese they honk. I, I'm sure you've heard mm-hmm you know talking before so i wake up the haunts and then and and this is in a dream this ain't real life and so then i see two canadians out there and i crawl up on them because i've got real tall grass and it's watery and so i'm just kind of like in the in the water just crawling up on them and i got my shotgun and i get and this is very unconventional hunting too because most people sit in a stand and call them in and shoot 20 of them at a time with their buddies this is how I prefer to hunt. This is this was one of my favorite hunting experiences, actually, uh, when it manifested in real life. But in the dream, I got a shot. I mean, I crawled right up to these geese, and I was just sure I was going to put two of them in the freezer that day. And I popped up with my shotgun, boom, 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 and shot one goose three times. From point-blank range, I mean, I could almost get out and grab the thing, you know what I'm saying? It was I was that close to it before the goose realized I was there. And uh, point-blank range, and the goose takes off running. And in the dream, I remember being mad, thinking, oh, this is – because it, it was that point in the dream. You know how sometimes you're having a dream and you realize, okay, this is the dream, this ain't real life? Yeah. That was the point that I realized this is a dream, because there's no way you shoot a goose from that close – three times right in the face and it does not die. And so, uh, I start chasing the goose down and I'm thinking in my head, this is a stupid dream. I would have already killed this. <laughs> I hate when this happens, you know, how you kind of lose control in your dream. Yeah. And then I remember I got, I, I grabbed the goose and right when I grabbed it by the neck and had it in my hands, and could feel it. I woke up, I snapped up and, and, and it was back to my normal day. Went, and had a normal day next day. I wake up to honking, but this ain't a dream. This is real life. And I hear honking. I look out the window. There's two geese out there. They're feeding in a puddle in my yard surrounded by tall grass. I grab that shotgun. It's got three shots in it because I got my plug in it. I crawl on it to my belly or on my belly. I crawl all the way out there. This is probably, I don't know, 75-yard crawl. And uh, I'm feeling like a damn Navy seal. And it was actually the reason that it was one of my favorite hunts um, experiences is because you ever seen a crocodile hunt with its body submerged in its head, its eyes kind of. water. That's how I was doing. I had my nose and my eyes out of the water and I was crawling in a mud puddle, but the mud was so slick. I was sliding. I didn't have, once I reached the mud, I was sliding underneath the water like a crocodile. And. And when I got right up to those geese, I kind of parted the grass between it. Then I pop up, boom, boom, boom. I put three shots into this goose, and uh, I was gonna get both of them. I wanted to eat both of them, and um, and all of a sudden, this goose that I just shot three times from no more than ten foot away, it runs away. And I mean, we end up in a foot chase. It It's trying to fly, but it's it can't fly no more. And I end up in a foot. I dropped the shotgun and I start chasing it so I didn't lose my my kill. And I get the geese or the goose and I grab it. And then I I quickly cut its head off just to put it out of its misery, you know. And um, and I start thinking, that's the weirdest shit I've ever seen in my life. I had never shot something that close and it not die like that. And I there's no way this could happen. And I'm going through all the possibilities. Maybe I missed. No, I didn't miss. Maybe there was uh, mud in the gun. What? I go back. I check the gun out. All three shells have been um, ejected. So I got all, my, all the cartridges are on the ground. And I start thinking, why? Because I've shot them from twice as far and they drop. You know what I mean? In one shot. I'm, I shot this goose three times from 10 foot away. And I thought, what is going on? Something's up with my gun. And I look at the cartridges. I had in buckshot. You did. Have,
3: you you did have and buckshot. Is is what is that normally what you would use in a shotgun?
4: Well, that's for, for shooting deer. That's what you would use. That's yeah. what you okay. go kill a deer with. I had in the wrong load. So what you want to shoot them with is turkey loads. You know, your four or five shot. But the thing is with buckshot, it'll kill a deer dead. You know what I mean? You shoot the, you shoot a deer close range with that buckshot, that deer's dead. It's like hitting it with 20, 22 bullets all at once. But the the pellets are bigger. What you want to shoot a geese with is little bitty pellets. Little bitty pellets. So what was happening is that my the I was using the wrong load on the on the goose and the shot the big pellets were all missing. So I might have hit it in the wings and that's why it couldn't fly. But I had to chase it for a hundred yards. Wow. What that dream right there to prove to me, and I've had other experiences. I could talk for days about stuff, that, but before the experience happened, I had a dream that two geese were in my yard. I crawled up on them, got point-blank range, shot three times, and one of them lived. And then I thought, well, that was a stupid dream. That's never going to happen. And then it happened in real life.
2: Yeah, that's strange. Do you ever see Dune? You're like Paul Atreides, where he has visions of the future, and some of them could be a little off. And some of them could be all right on. Like he has the visions because he's the one. You could be the one. Did you ever see Dune? I sure haven't. Well, don't watch the one from the 80s. It's, it, it's, it's fucking hot garbage. Well, I never said hot garbage before, but I might still use it. That's that. okay. But, the, but listen to me. The new one is fucking great. And it sounds exactly – well, not exactly. There was no turkeys in outer of Space. But he was having visions. And some of them were true, and some of them weren't. Jimmy, I told you to watch the goddamn movie. I know,
3: but it's long. I got to put aside a couple of hours uh, to do it. And I, and I promise you I will, because I want to see it. It looks good. Uh, Bryce, I also wanted to ask you before I forget, cause I know we only have you for a limited time, about breaking your hand against uh, Feely. You said that was in the first round uh, that you broke your left hand. Uh, you, and what, you just threw a punch. What exactly happened?
4: It was an overhand left. is how I broke it.
3: And you knew it was broken immediately, or was it in between rounds? No, I
4: never broke nothing before, so I I actually just was telling myself my finger was jammed because I really couldn't – I knew something was wrong because my hand was kind of like numb and uh, I couldn't move my finger, but I was just telling myself, oh, you just got a jammed finger, you know, and it didn't really uh, set in because I figured it would hurt a lot more, but it really didn't hurt except when I went to punch with it while it was broken, and that really does hurt when you punch with the broken hand. Um, but I've been training my kung fu, and uh, I'm completely. Uh, can you see me, brother? No, no, no we can't. We, we got that, you
2: back. Is that your ninjitsu you've been practicing? Also, no, oh, sorry. <laughs> go ahead. So, I thought you disappeared. But so, go ahead uh, my, my
4: mechanic was calling me. He's got a. Uh, my my mechanic. This guy is great, and uh, basically, he's giving me a storm shelter today, and uh, but I'm I'm not gonna have time to get it. I didn't tell him about these interviews, and yeah, but he's giving me a storm shelter so I don't get twister
3: oh right you're in that part of the country yeah but do you know that the best
4: investment you can make on this farm possible if you had to invest in only one thing to keep you alive the best investment I'll ever make storm shelter
3: yeah I guess so have you had to run into it yet have you had to like run into it like you're in a panic
4: no sir I've just been praying and I've, I've been praying with God and I said God if you just please keep a tornado away from me until I get that storm shelter from Mr. Paul and I've been praying, and it's worked so far. And there's been times, brother, where this trailer has been rocking, and I, I mean, I mean, it's scary when you're living in this little bitty ass thirty foot trailer, and the wind starts rocking, and you don't got nowhere to go. So you oh. just sitting there, and you kind of just, you, I'll, I'll pull the curtains back, and I'll look out the window, and I'll enjoy the free light show, and, uh, and I'll start praying, and that's my defense right now. But I've just prayed that, please, God, let me. Let me get this sh- shelter before you take this farm out with the tornado. And so far, uh, I'm, I'm still alive, so I'm happy. But there, any, any day now, I could, it could be the day where my whole
2: farm, every piece of equipment that I've got is just gone. I'm down for some ironic shit. But, dude, for the guy who's the master of the twister to die by a twister, I don't want – nobody wants that. <laughs> nobody, That's right. The, guy, the guy's the master of the twister that actually came looking for you. I don't fucking know. That's but, right. Holy shit.
3: Yeah, Bryce. Look, we—you're uh, you're fighting on the uh, on the fifth at um, two seventy-two. An incredible fight against Barbosa. You're a really a hard guy to not like. I mean, everyone likes you. Everyone is rooting for you. Fourteen to zero. You look incredible so far.
2: Undefeated in the UFC. Undefeated
3: in the yeah five and zero in the UFC. Yeah. Takes
2: out Edson Barbosa. This will be six in a row undefeated in the UFC. I mean, six in a row in the UFC. Yes. More people should be fucking yelling about Bryce Mitchell. We are. Hey man, we're behind you, bro. Yeah. I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm excited for you.
3: Yeah. We'll see you soon, man. And, and good luck with that, with uh, the storm shelter. And uh, we'll talk to you after the fight, but uh, yeah, you're always fun to watch,
4: man. Thank y'all so much. I appreciate you coach. I'm still looking forward to coming and training with you. Anytime,
2: anytime. Invitation's always open.
4: It's harder now. I got cows and chickens. I mean, I'm really tied
2: down. I mean, really. Well, you know what? Well, you come out here We'll send Aljo to go take care of the farm and we'll you know, Aljo's <laughs> you know I mean? well, gonna fry up all my
4: chickens and he's gonna be making all sorts of beef jerky and stuff. I'm gonna come back and all my stuff's cooked
2: up. We'll make some money. We'll make some money. We'll put Aljo and Marab on the farm for a week and
4: we'll they they can do that, man. But thank y'all so much and y'all holler in anytime.
3: Let's just say that we, uh, we almost, with one notable exception, we both almost went undefeated for the weekend in our picks.
5: Which one did we
2: not get?
3: Uh, you picked a Badeau and I, and I knew that Parker Porter would win. <laughs> but uh, we both picked Jim Miller. Uh, of course, I used all of my my uh, skills to pick him in the round two, which is how he actually won. And you thought that he would lollygag into a decision. And Joaquin Buckley, we both picked, um, you said round two, uh to knock out but I, I I suspected with all of my skills that it would be a decision and it was indeed a split decision.
2: Is it true? Yes sir. That Jim Miller's coming out to that share song. If I could turn back time. No.
3: Jim Miller came out to Iron if Man.
2: If I could find a way. Um no, maddie came
3: out to Iron Man. It was great. Jim Miller, who doesn't love fucking Jim Miller coming out to Iron Man?
2: Everybody loves it. I
3: was Jim. so happy. Um and, uh, of course, at 195, the catchweight, Dawkins defeated Jamie Pickett, uh, 459 of the first round. They literally had to, to, to uh, the announcers weren't even sure if he, I thought it was pretty clear. But, again, they, they wanted to replay it make sure that he actually did it before. And Pickett started tapping, literally, and then the, a, a split second later, the bell rang. So that was a great win for Kyle Dawkins.
2: Well, that's good. You know, he had a little bit of bad luck that last time with the indecisive ref. ref. And
3: congratulations to a guy with a, with a, a like, literally a Thor's hammer for a right fist, uh, Jamal Hill. Uh, I believe it was a right he knocked him out with, but I could be incorrect. Um, I thought it was temple, a right. To
2: the temple.
3: Yeah, it wasn't even a perfectly landed. It was just such a hard shot. And Johnny Walker had looked good up to that point, throwing some body kicks, moving really well. Uh,
2: to, to fall like that. What's he that? He's very tall, like a redwood falling. Stiffed up, he he kind of stiffed
3: up and fell back. Yeah. If I
2: fell like that, I'm a little. I might have rolled because I'm a little stacky little thing. But yeah, you're a little guy. but he was a it would just be tall smart. guy. It's like timber. Yeah. It's like that a, that's not really you know classy to say, but he did fall very bad. But when you and then the one on the the one on the floor, may I add, Jimmy was just. It was um very accurate as well i think that's what really just what
3: did he and again i it, you can't monday morning quarterback it because in in these moments like you know when, when francis did it to um al alistair over when he was out or when bisping had it done by dan henderson there are times where somebody is clearly out but again in a fight maybe you don't notice it as much you're just you're in that mode is it easier for me to see as an observer than it is in the fight What's that? If like looking, he looked like he was—he didn't need another punch. But I guess that's easier said from the outside than when you're in the cage fighting.
2: As as far as the ref or the fighter?
3: No, no, no—the fighter. Like, what you oh. just get a punch until the ref stops you.
2: Listen, let me go back to one of my fights. The fight was um, Frank Drake, okay, and I knocked him down, Jimmy. Yeah, and you could say, well, he's down, and and I think you've seen one of the wives of the somebody sitting on the on the cage side by by, and they're like, oh my god, why isn't he stopping? Like that kind of thing. Like, oh. Why is he still hitting him? I'll tell you why, Jimmy. Because let's say I let up and I show some mercy. And all of a sudden, he survives that. And then he gets up and also, yeah. like, man, I'm, a, I'm a, little, a little tuckered out from that. I'm a little tired. Like Jimmy's said, I'm a little tuckered. And next thing you know, I start getting my ass kicked. And I start going, I showed you mercy. And he's yeah. like, ah, no mercy. Fuck that. Pat
3: Barry, Czech Congo, great example of how a fight can look over. That's why I'm asking: Is it just easy? You just wait for the ref to stop it because if the guy, if the guy is not hurt as badly as you think, uh yeah, I guess he comes back and he hurts. Yeah,
2: you go until the ref jumps in.
3: Welcome, guys. How are you?
5: Very good. good. How are you doing?
3: Very good. And we uh, we plug the podcast that you're promoting, Martin. Before we start, I wanted to ask you a question because I'll forget. You are in one of my favorite movies that um, I don't know who you played in it. What did you do in Little Murders in 1971?
6: (laughs) (laughs) Little Murders was my first movie ever. And um, Alan Arkin was my first speaking role. And it was 1970 we shot it. And Elliot Gould (laughs) kills me in the scene in a park. And you couldn't have seen the scene because the scene was cut out. Oh. so. It was really interesting, and a f- friend of mine went to the screening. And I, this is my first year in the business, and he says, you weren't there. And I said, I wasn't there. He says, no, your scene wasn't in there. And it's a really good scene with Elliot Gould, and he kills me, and he's a pacifist. And um Murder is a famous book about a pacifist written by Jules Pfeiffer, as I'm sure you know. And So I get a letter about a week later from Alan Arkin, And Alan Arkin says, Martin, you did a great job. We had to cut the scene because he's a pessimist in the show and we can't have him doing violence thing, doing violence within Central Park. So I said, wow, that's really great. So over the years, Alan Arkin and I have laughed at this letter and that my first movie he directed in all my career was cut out. Yeah. And so we, you know, we laugh about it a lot whenever I see him. He's a wonder, wonderful man, and he wrote this lovely letter. And for a young actor, it's my first year in the business, and for an actor, just get that, you know, and, and, and feel like, you know, it's not personal. It's just the way things go.
3: Yeah, they never tell you when they cut you out of something. I've been cut out of things before and they never tell you. And I went to a documentary screening once. I was like, you couldn't let me know I wasn't going to be in it. I mean, I I wouldn't have brought a date. You know, it's kind of humiliating when you show up and you're not in the movie. Um, So you guys are doing a podcast now. And is it about martial arts? Is it about the movies? What's it about?
5: Well, it's not a recap show. Everybody thinks it's a Cobra Kai recap show, which it's not. Um, We do talk about Cobra Kai. Of course, I was on season three and, you know, obviously my dad, Karate Kid and all that stuff. But we, you know, we bring in elements of Cobra Kai and discuss bullying and uh, the themes of Cobra Kai that go into, you know, reality. And but we really talk about everything. I mean, we talk about um, we talk about anti-bullying. We interview doctors, psychologists, athletes, uh, UFC fighters. Hopefully soon, um, you know, and uh, producers, actors, and it's really. It's just a podcast that's for everyone, you know, especially because it's a family sitting down. I'm there with my sister, my dad. My sister brings a wonderful female element to the podcast. And we really just want to have conversations about everything that's going on in the world, including pop culture and entertainment. And it's a great way for people to see, you know, a family sitting down together, being strong and and having these great discussions. And, you know, there's not I don't know. Are we allowed to curse on this? Uh- yeah, yeah. Shit Yeah. OK, great. So there's no bullshit in our podcast. You know, there's not a lot of BS. You know, we just talk about the truth, the reality of life. The life can be very hard, and you know, and just all those kind of themes. So there's really nothing that we don't want to not talk about.
2: <laughs> How was it when you first seen the Karate Kid and everybody hated your father? How did that feel?
5: Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, I mean,
2: he was the bad guy. I mean, you I think? mean, but
5: I always I always knew him as the good guy for me. So I never really saw him as the bad guy. I, I always knew that he was playing a character. And, you know, so it was always an interesting thing. It was funny to hear people all the time that whether they were afraid of it or, you know, that was really that mean in real life. It's like, you know, I don't know very many actors were that mean as their character in real life. Maybe some, but, you know, he's like he's a big teddy bear.
3: I love looking back over, like, especially, you know, Martin, an actor has been around for a long time and he's got such an amazing career. I love the older stuff. Like, I'm always interested like It seemed like you were in a run back then too of doing Quincy and Barnaby Jones and the Rockford Files. Would would you get cast typically as a bad guy or were you a cop or did you play a little bit of everything?
6: Oh, at the beginning, that was the 70s. And in the beginning, you know, you, you come to Hollywood and you just get cast as a tough guy, you know, unless you're Gregory Peck, who was cast as a leading man in 1939 in his first movie and never looked back. He did leading men to the end of his career, so you know there aren't many careers like that. But you start off, you just you know. You, I think the the most interesting emotion that you play as an actor is for you, when you're young is really playing tough and angry. You know that that's what the actors do well because you know no one's developed. Even Steve McQueen. I mean, I remember. Earliest stuff is Steve McQueen, he was he was never really you know vulnerable, and it, it got in later years he became seasoned and vulnerable. You know a little bit in Magnificent Seven, but it really was more in the Great Escape. You know it was more from the Great Escape on, and you know it, you just become more seasoned and trust your instrument more. So it's not just a one tough guy. So you. Answer your question. Yeah. You get to do a lot of tough guys, because that's what you're doing well at the audition. And, you know, you just, you're physically, you know, you know, appropriate for a third bad guy from the left, and you play them. And, you know, you do it until you kind of push your agent for other things and try to, you know, make your mark and something a little more vulnerable, a little softer. Even in Cobra Kai, I always drive them nuts. And say I want to, you know, play John Crease more vulnerable. I want to play John Creese with a little more texture. You know, I'm not interested in playing John Creese the mean guy. And um, they're writing more and more of that every season. You know,
2: what's amazing about the show? I love it. I watch it. My I have three young daughters, me, and my wife, more kids. We watch it all together. Is uh, the depth they give you a character. He's not just a hard ass for the hell. Now they give the backstory and nom, and I—it's it, it, fascinating. When you got approached with this with this project, were, were you a little half-in, half-out? Ralph who brought this up to you, Ralph Macchio? When they did, what did they say to you? Like, hey, look, we're bringing it back. Were you
6: a little bit like, eh. but Billy told me we ran an autograph show, and I knew they were talking to Billy and Ralph, and then they, you know, the, Billy came up to me and said, "We're going to do this again." waiting for the right time to talk to you and you'll meet with them. And I wanted to make sure that this character was not conceived to be like in the movies, because we were all in the movies, white hats and black hats. Yes. You know, we were good guys and bad guys. And I wanted as an actor to do more. I was later in my career and I wanted to do more. So I met with the writers. We met in Dan Tanner's back in in LA and um, I had a list of stuff I wanted. and. And they were like light years ahead of me. I said, I want, you know, do I have to come in the 10th episode? Why can't I come in the 6th episode of season one? Well, they said, you're going to set up season two. You're going to set up season two because your, you know, you're, you're, um, your uh, entrance is going to be ominous. So it was, it was just like they predicted. And um, slowly, slowly, they were peppering my character with a little more. They started him off tough as that, you know, as, an, as Billy's assistant. But as tough as you can get while still being an assistant, you know. And then eventually I take the dojo in season three. And he violates Cobra Kai. And I love him like, I love him like my son. But I love Cobra Kai more. So you violate Cobra Kai, you're going, you know, and that's it. And then, you know, you'll thank me one day for doing this, for the integrity of Cobra Kai. And, you know, that's how it all evolved. And then when I went to them with more notes in season three and season four, I met with mercenaries. I met with army rangers. I met with all these guys. And I said, I want to do these flashbacks. I want to learn about my background. Can we do this? And they had all that stuff already. They were, they were like two years ahead of Martin Cove. You know, they knew what they wanted to do with this character. So I just, you know, join the line. You
3: know. How how great is it too as an actor? Like or in any job when I think thirty-seven years after the original, they bring it back and it's like you have this whole fresh uh thing you can do with your character. It's it's gotta be nice. And I, I agree with you about the vulnerability. Like I think in MASH they said the one thing they would have done better is they would have given more depth to Frank Burns, who was very funny. But they felt he was probably like they didn't show enough of him as a person to make him as interesting as they could have. So you have to love that you have a chance to come back now and do all these interesting things as this character from so many years ago.
6: Yeah, it's it's, it's fascinating, and the people enjoy it. You know, they enjoy. What's interesting is the people enjoy the vulnerability. They enjoy the emotionality. That you know, my son. You know, my son played the bully who bullies me in in the diner in 1965, you know, and everybody thinks he's me because he's a bully. And um, Jesse, tell them about your experience because he got an enormous amount of publicity from that because they thought he was the bully and getting bullied by somebody else, you know? That stuff was so fun
5: because, you know, I never thought I'd get into the world of, Karate Kid or Cobra Kai. It was just never something I never really, never really thought about or expected. So when the audition came about, you know, I was really excited. They were already shooting uh season. They're already shooting season three in Atlanta. So, um, you know, when I finally booked it, you know, I, I was, I was very excited. I told them, look, my dad's already down there. I'll just stay, I'll stay down at his apartment that he has down there and, and make it easier. And, you know, it was more fun for us. And, you know, it was great. I went to work. I worked really hard on this. And then being on set, it was just, you know, it was very surreal. And it was almost like, I don't know, it felt like a, like back to the future. And like, you know, part of like my own destiny. I don't know. It was really, it was, it was incredible.
2: It, it was. Are you, I'm sorry, Jimmy. Are, Jesse, are you and your sister in the uh, family business? Are you guys both actors?
5: Or? So Rachel does do acting. Yes. Uh, Rachel works a, in the, is, she's an authority in the, in the mental health world. She's a life coach. has a very successful business. Helps people with substance abuse, things like that. So she's really incredible in that arena as well. But you and
3: and and how about you? You were doing some acting, or this was newer for you, or something that you want to pursue for real?
5: Oh, I mean, I've been an actor the last ten years. Um, You know, I've been very fortunate. My dad and I have done probably I don't know five, six movies together, and then you know I've done all kinds of different movies and television shows, and um, so it's been you know every year is better than the next, and you know there's so much that we want to do. The reason I'm growing, the reason I look like this right now, is because I'm playing. I'm going to be playing Wyatt Earp in an unofficial Tombstone prequel. Uh, So that's why I've got this big mustache I'm growing right now.
2: Where is that going to be uh, shown? Do we know?
5: There's a lot of we're thinking of either, you know, it'll probably either go to like Netflix or Hulu, uh, something like that, or Amazon. Um, We're really excited about it. Uh, My dad and I, it looks like we might be coming in and taking a little bit more of like a producer's role on it because we love the script so much. Um, and it's really incredible. It was co-written by one of the, one of the gentlemen who actually helped write the original tombstone with Kurt Russell, Doc Kilmer. What, what was his name again? I just, just blanked out of my head. John Fasano. That's right. John Fasano. So he's on there as well. And it's just an amazing story of how Doc Holliday and Wyatt Earp met. And, uh, every time I mention this story, it's amazing. Every guy's like, or even like women, they're like, Oh my God, wider tombstone. It's, it's just such a funny, it's a funny thing that everybody loves.
3: Just having a dad in the business, uh, you, you know a lot of the pitfalls or a lot of the things to avoid or a lot of the good things. Do you think that was a, that helped you a lot uh, with the mentality of going into the business is knowing a lot of the things to look out for.
5: Sure. I've seen the insanity of the business yet. I still am in the business (laughs) and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a great thing, you know, I've been able to. I've been open, privy to a lot of incredible stuff, and you know, I've taken what what I think works for me, and and you know, I, I get to have all these wonderful discussions with my dad over the years, and you know, I I love the movie industry, I love movie making, and the, the art the artistry of it, and what movies do to people, and have been doing to people for the last hundred years, and it's been you know, it's been a wonderful wonderful journey.
2: You know what I feel bad about? I feel bad for the um, the Kevin Costner. Dennis Quaid, Quaid uh, Wyatt Earp. It wasn't a bad movie, but Tombstone is so iconic because of Val Kilmer and I'm Your Huckaberry. And it's such a great movie with the one-liners that everybody just shits on the other one. <laughs> they don't even talk about the other one. Do you ever see that movie, the one with uh, the Wyatt Earp with Kevin Costner and, and Dennis Quaid?
5: Yeah, I'll do you one even better. My dad was in it. Oh, fuck.
6: <laughs> Martin, sorry, Here's buddy. a lesson. Here's a lesson for you. I sat with the historians in Tombstone, and we talked about the difference between the uh, the historians, the teachers, a variety of of people who really know Westerns. And uh, we talked about the difference between wider and between Tombstone. Now, one was primarily about Tombstone, about the Cowboys, about the the confrontation of the gunfight, okay, Corral, Republicans versus the Democrats. Those guys were Democrats out there, the Clantons. They couldn't take over the town. The town was Republicans trying to take over the basic gambling casinos and make the big money. So that's what it was. But yet Kevin, and I was in on wired up early on with Kevin. He then he, and I were very close. And it was a story of the Corleone family. It was going to be a three-part story, three, two hours of – of the Earp family, except it was going to be treated like three, two hours on HBO. And then Kevin brought in Larry Kasdan and Dan Gordon, who wrote the three, two hours, was put aside somewhat. And Larry Kasdan came in, rewrote the script into a one movie, three hour picture, story of the Earp family. And it was a little slower and Kevin was a little darker than he had ever been before. People didn't know how to react to it, but the picture itself was deemed by these um, this group of authorities as a more authentic, detailed movie about the life of that situation, and and um, was deemed more authentic. So it's great. I mean, my my answering machine goes, you know, the great line that that uh, that uh, what's his name. Um, Texas Bill Brocious has, he, you know, Wyatt Earp is leaving at the end with the wagon. And Wyatt Earp says to, says to Johnny Ringo, he said to Johnny Ringo and Bill Brocious, he said, I just want you to know, it's all over. And then, and, and then Johnny Ringo says, smells like, smells like death, you know, and Bill Brocious laughs. And then he looks at Wyatt Earp and he goes, well, bye.
2: Yeah, I know.
6: Yeah, you know, and I took that by. I put it on my answering machine. You know, it's such a brilliant line. Well, bye. That's it. Yeah, (laughs) the writing is great. You know, it's obviously you know Huckleberry and all that, but wider was much more factual and honestly, a you know it, it was as large. Except Tombstone was more of a popcorn movie. Yes. You know. And that was the difference at the time they came out. Ah,
2: but I enjoyed Wider. It was good. It was a good movie. It's just, you know, Tombstone. Yeah, like you said, Tombstone was that popcorn flick.
6: Yeah, I mean, I remember in Wider, the guy gets the cue ball thrown in his throat. He draws down on Kevin Costner. So that's me. You know, we, we had a couple of scenes together. Oh, that's
2: right. Shit.
6: And, and I, I had a great time. I cried when I left that set. That's how much I love Westerns. And that's how much I wanted to stay on that
3: set. Well, you guys both, uh, obviously, you're both really, really uh, good communicators and good talkers. And this podcast, uh, it must be nice to be able to do something with, for, with the family that you know people are uh, are listening to. And Martin, I, I guess before we let you guys go, you must be amazed too at how differently the much the business has changed. Like The fact that you can just do this now and there's no permission from a studio needed. Nobody has to okay it. You guys can just do it. Um, th- that is one of the nicer things about the internet and all this is the fact that you can just put up a podcast and not need anybody to say okay to it
5: well i mean there's certain things obviously that you know especially with our show because it's not like uh you know it's not like an official cobra kai recap show there's so many of those but we wanted it to be our own thing with our family and what we what we can talk about and like you said there is a there is a great um freedom you get with being able to you know have these great conversations which i think obviously like why you know people go to podcasts these days you know for for these kind of conversations that you can't have you know there's so much there's a lot of you know politically correct ways of saying things you know which is like Yes, that's all great and good. But like life is there's like there's like reality of life. You know what I mean? I'm not saying that, like, you should say things that are offensive to people or whatever. But like there is a reality of life that like life is hard, that like, you know, people die. uh, You know, you can't get around these things. We got to pay our taxes. Um, And uh, I think that having those kind of conversations where you can be real like that, people respect it more and they'll follow it more rather than just having a bunch of fluff talking about superficial nonsense that doesn't really help you or do anything.
6: And I usually get involved in stuff about Westerns. I get involved in fantasy subject matters, filmmaking, you know, raising children. This, the guests have come on this show. And and my daughter's knowledge of mental health and all the stuff that you and I grew up with bullying and you know, you and I weren't bullied. You know, maybe we were bullied once or twice because we, we, you know, we wouldn't stand for it. But the bottom line is the stuff you learn about teenage suicide, the stuff you learn about subject matters that you'd never, ever entertain with your kids, which is what kids want to have these days. If they're hurting, kids want you to talk to them. They don't necessarily want a solution. They don't want daddy to say, you know, here's what you got to do, kid, and you'll be okay. They don't want that. What I have learned through all these podcasts is that the children just want to be able to have someone to talk to and tell them what they're going through. Not solve their problem, but just have someone to talk to. And that, to me, I never could, I could never do that to my parents. My parents were Jewish. I had lots of problems when I grew up. I was You know, only child living in a Jewish neighborhood with my parents were frightened to death of the wind that blew. You know, they were conservative, you know, Depression-era people. And I was this fantasist. I watched What's That Story last night, and I just remember it was the first word that I could ever say. You know, well, my father's a bastard. My mom's an SOB. My grandpa's always plastered. My grandma's pushes tea. My sister wears a mustache. My brother wears a dress. Golly, yeah. you know, I like you it. Couldn't, you couldn't say bastard, back in Brooklyn in the fifties in a Jewish uh, But it was because it was on Broadway. It was okay. My parents would come home with the album, and I'd hear it on the album, and it was okay. Bottom line is what I'm trying to say is we now we have through podcasts, through people like my daughter and my son, they bring in the truth, makes us. So it's so much easier to be parents because people are willing to talk about therapeutic situations that will help our kids longevity, that we won't read about our kid one day, you know. And um, to me, that's the value of these podcasts is that we are learning as artists, as fighters, as people with a lot of chutzpah in our lives that we didn't come up the easy way. And, you know, we're learning now. There's a lot of intellectual value to stuff out there that we never entertained before. Well, kicking it with the
3: coves podcast one. uh, It's Martin, of course, and Jesse, along with uh, your sister and your daughter, Rachel. And um, I guess you can get this uh, once a week. I'm assuming it's once a week.
5: Yes, every Uh, Thursday.
3: All right, every Thursday, thank you guys so much. Really, really, you're both uh, really interesting people and really interesting conversationalists. And I'm sure the podcast is great and we would love to talk to you again sometime.
5: Of course, you, got, you, you, you guys will have fun uh, really quickly watching a movie that I did uh, called D-Day. I did it with Chuck Liddell and Randy Couture. Oh, okay. Uh, so we had a blast doing that, check it out. Uh, it's called D-Day Battle of Omaha Beach and uh, they were a lot of fun to work with.
6: Absolutely. The World War II movie. You love it. It's and my real- dad's
5: in it too. We were in it together. So it's, it's a fun one.
2: Where is it? Where do we get it?
5: Uh, it's on Amazon uh, or iTunes. Just type in, you can just type in D D Day uh, or D Day, Battle of Omaha Beach, and you'll see it. Or just type in my name, Jesse Cove, into like iTunes or Google. I mean, iTunes or Amazon, and it'll, it'll show all my stuff on there. It's a good one. Proud movie. You'll love it.
6: You'll love it. It's about 200 Rangers. It's a real true story about Point du Hoc, and Point du Hoc was a fascinating, you know, hit point where they had to de- destroy these, these guns that would aim at, at, at um, Omaha Beach on the morning of Normandy. And Jesse's in charge of 200 Rangers who have to scale this straight up mountain to get to these guns that the Germans had set up. You'll love it. It's a great movie. I'm going
3: to check it out. For yes. Sure. Awesome. Thank you guys very much. It was great talking to both
0: of you. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Archaea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
1: At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet Three Six Five. Twenty-one plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call one eight hundred Gambler. Terms and conditions apply.
3: Yeah, that sounds familiar to the uh, the, the um, check that out plot man. of that the uh, the climbing that wall. It sounds like something I saw. Not the same film, but it was probably about that same set up and it might not be uh but one of the guys was a pacifist and didn't want to carry a gun and they had to scale a wall yeah man, well, all right, buddy
2: hey man that was great i'll check that out I'm a, me I'm a, too i like that kind of stuff and i'll support anything chucks in but uh jimmy anything you want to uh we, we enjoyed the fights over the weekend we spoke about that
3: yes we hey. can cover them again a little bit and 272 we can cover uh this coming week all i want to promote matt I do cameo, and I also am back on the road. Thank you to Boston and Foxwoods and New Hampshire—amazing shows this past weekend. Uh, and I'm coming up to San Francisco at the end of March. I got Poughkeepsie in April, DC in April, Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania, Delaware—bunch of gigs coming up. So go to my site.
2: Congrats to Dennis Bazooka, and congrats to my uh, to my buddy uh, Justin the Kid Matavo. Good, good, good kids coming up. Future's bright. To all my my. Uh, My students and my friends that lost over the weekend, listen, I got my losses. I still became a champion. It's all good, all part of the journey. We learn, we dust ourselves off, we get back in, we rip some Kimuras. Jimmy, I will see you in a couple of days, my friend.
3: Okay, buddy, see you in a couple of days.
2: I'm going to go listen to Bryce Mitchell, Thug Nasty's music now. I don't blame you. Goodbye, Jimmy.
1: Goodbye.